So um, teachers will recognize this, that, that one of the, the teaching strategies that is often employed is the, the I do, we do, you do teaching strategy. Like I do it and you watch. And I do it over and over again and you watch and then we do it together and, and, and I let you try and, and I'm watching what you're doing and, and that allows me to see like maybe where you, you need a little more training, a little more teaching and allows you to try it and, and then eventually we get to the you do, like now it's your turn to, to just do it, do it all yourself. Jesus was a huge proponent of the I do, we do, you do. Uh, method of discipleship. Uh, I think a great analogy is driver's education. So you, you take this class and it begins in a classroom and you have an instructor and, and maybe you watch videos and, and they teach you about driving and then eventually you get to get in the car with an instructor. And it's the we do together. They've got a, a break on their side which is so helpful and and you drive around, and then they figure out where you need a little more work, and then you take a road test, and if you pass, you get the car keys, and you get to take that maiden voyage all by yourself. And, and I remember for me, it was, Mom, do we need a gallon of milk? Mom, do we need a, any excuse to go to the store to get those keys and, and drive? So Jesus employed the I do, we do, you do method with his disciples. For three years, he demonstrated what it means to, to follow God and what it means to be a, a minister and to live on mission. And then he asked the disciples to do a couple things. He even sent them out on these mini mission trips, and then they would report back and they would debrief. And then eventually Jesus ascended to the Father, and he essentially gave the car keys to the disciples. And he said, the things you've seen me do, now it's your turn. You do. As I have loved you, now go and, and, and love one another. One of the things that I love about the Bible, that I love about the Gospels in particular, is that when we learn about these disciples, uh, the Bible doesn't portray them as super saints. These are not extraordinary people that we have nothing in common with. They're actually people a lot like us, people who, who struggle learning how to tie shoes, you know, these were, were people that, uh, you know, they were jealous of one another. And they argued about which one of them was better than the other. And they disagreed over who should be on the team. They didn't like that Jesus included uh, Matthew, the tax collector, that, that he was actually part of the 12. They weren't so happy about that. And, and so they had these arguments and, and jealousies and and uh, you think maybe perhaps one of the, the greatest failings, it's when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is just in such need, and, and he pleads with them, pray with me. I need you now more than I've ever needed you. Pray with me, and, and they fall asleep. And we think of all the things that Jesus taught them, and, and they were so slow to understand because they were trying to fit Jesus into what they expected him to be and what they expected him to do, and he just wasn't playing along with their expectations. So these are people a lot like us, and the reason that gives me hope is because look at how God used them. Just broken, flawed people, and God used them in tremendous ways. I do, we do, you do. 
We've been studying for a number of weeks now this passage of scripture from Acts chapter 2, which kind of outlines what it was that the early church did. These were the things that they had seen Jesus do. And then he ascended, and they had to figure out, what are we going to do? And they said, well, let's do the same things. And so we've been, been reading this. Today we're going to end the sermon series with the very last verse that says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we're going to read the passage one more time. And as we do, I want you to pay attention to where you feel resistance. As we read the things that the disciples did, and we recognize that these are the things that God calls us to do, some of these things are going to cause a little resistance in you. You're going to hear it and think, I don't know. I don't know if that's something that I, I really am ready to commit to. So as we read it, just, just pay attention to where that pops up for you. Lord, uh, we thank you that your word is living and active. And uh, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Recently, in a uh, consistory meeting, uh, I was joining Community Reformed in Clinton for a consistory meeting, and one of the elders was giving a devotion. And the, uh, the prayer that he asked us to reflect on was the serenity prayer. Uh, this is a prayer that's often uh, uh, associated with Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and so the prayer reads like this, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change and the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And, and so I've been thinking about that prayer as it relates to the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so let me throw out the question to you to think in your mind. Do you think the Lord adding daily those who are being saved, is that something that we can control, that we can make happen? Or is that something over which we, we have to accept what God does or doesn't do that we can't control. The Lord adding to our number those who are being saved. So I think it's actually a tricky question uh, because maybe the answer is somewhere in the middle, but I, I'm going to show my, my reformed colors, and I believe that the answer to that question is uh, this is something over which we have no control. Only God can save. Only God can open eyes that are blind. Only God can set captives free. That is not something that we can make happen. It is the Lord's prerogative. Today, if he wants someone to, to go from being lost to found, blind to, to sight, uh, 
a sinner who's saved from their sins, God can make that happen today. And, and God can keep that from happening today. So it, it's something that, that we have to accept what God does or doesn't do. And, and there have been seasons, uh, even in, in our brief history, where, where we've gone through sweet seasons where God just seems to be doing tremendous things and we see people coming to, to know Jesus and growing in their faith. And then there are these, these dry seasons, difficult seasons where seeds get planted and it just seems like they're not bearing fruit. And, and, and it's the Lord's prerogative to do what he's going to do. So where does that leave us? I'd say there are some things that we can control. There are some things that God calls us to do. And so this morning, uh, I want to look at what are the things that God calls us to do to partner with him so that the Lord will add to our number daily. We can't make that happen, but we are called to partner with him in ministry. And so there's four things that I believe God has called us to do. And, and uh, just for transparency, my sermon only has three things, but I thought about one thing today in the shower. So you're going to get it. And I'm going to lead with that while it's fresh in my brain. Uh, I have been presenting this, like, uh, the story from Acts is that there's the 12 disciples, Jesus ascends, the gift of the Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches this message, and 3,000 people are cut to the heart, and they want to get baptized and, and follow Jesus. And so the church, in this one sermon, goes from 120 people to now it's 3,120. And so far in, in every sermon, I've presented that as the, the disciples just like, whoa, this is amazing. Like giving each other congratulatory high fives. But in the shower this morning, I was thinking about it and thinking about human nature and wondering, I wonder if they were really excited. Because I, I've been part of groups that, that when you're a small group and everybody knows everybody and it's, it's so comfortable, it's, quote, family. And then that group changes. Somebody joins the group. A few people join the group. And it can't help but change the group. And, and you know that, boy, I should be happy that there's more people part of this group. But there's something that gets lost. By getting bigger, there's something that, that's lost. I remember in college being part of a, a ministry, a, a collegiate ministry. In my freshman year, it was very small. There was like seven or eight of us. And it was great. Like, I got to spend so much time with this, this campus minister. And then the sophomore year, it exploded. And it went from like seven or eight people to like 30 or 40 people. And there was part of me that was sad. Something was was lost i didn't get to spend so much time with the campus minister and and kind of that inner bubble that we had it kind of popped as everything got big and and so i think for the disciples for three years 12 of them spending every minute with jesus and now three thousand people it changes the nature of the the group and so i think about us we can't control if the lord adds to our number those who are being saved but we all have an attitude about that. And, and I think it's helpful to be honest that there, for all of us, that might represent a, a measure of loss. And it's okay to say that. It's okay when, when something changes, when you add people to a, 
an organism, it changes. I'm thinking of the Johnson family. Uh, you know, they're cruising along, Becca and Ellie, and, and suddenly enter twins into the picture. Two children to four children. The family dynamic has changed, and absolutely praise God for the, the gift of this family. But there's something that's different about the family now. And so every one of us, I think, has to wrestle with that because, you know, there's part of us that might say, I really don't want it to change. I want it to stay the way it was. I remember having a conversation maybe almost 10 years ago with, with a member of our church. We were in one of those sweet seasons where God was just bringing a lot of new people to our, our congregation. And, and this person was very honest with me. They said, this is hard to come to church now. Because I used to come and everybody knew me and I knew everybody and now I come and it's like half of the congregation I don't even know. And I was so appreciative of that person's honesty. That doesn't mean that we don't want to have people join us. It just reflects, you know what? We've got to accept that there are some losses that come with it. Uh, and, and so we are responsible for that. So that's the, that was the shower thought. That might be the best thought that I, I have here uh, this morning. What else are we responsible for? Uh, I asked you when I read the scripture to pay attention to where you felt resistance. And so think about that now. Where was it in that passage that you felt resistance? Maybe it was all the togetherness. That word together pops up three times in that short passage. The disciples spent a lot of time together. And maybe that just feels like a little bit too much, especially in in our busy schedules where, where we're running from one thing and, and time is so precious. I'm not sure that we want to spend that much time together. Maybe it was the, the devotion to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. And if we're honest, the, the church prayer meeting is probably the last meeting that we're going to go to. Maybe it was the fact that they opened their homes. Think about your home. It's your sanctuary. It's that place where you can take off your shoes, you can kind of kick back, let down your guard, and the thought of opening your home and thinking of your home as a mission outpost, that really pushes you to the, the edges of your comfort zone. Maybe it was the radical generosity of the early church. They just didn't give out of their abundance. They, they, they gave sacrificially. They really cared for one another, and, and they, they gave in, in some significant ways so to feel resistance is not a bad thing it's a human thing tying a polymer knot trust me it's not easy and, and so there's part of me that just says this is not worth it i know the the cinch knot just stick with the fishing knot but but there's value in this other knot if i learn it it's going to go quicker so to feel resistance it's just a human thing what we're in control of is what do we do with that resistance? Do we submit to it? Do we just say, okay, this is hard, it's something that, that I really don't want to do, and draw the line in the sand and say, I'm willing to do this, I'm willing to devote myself to the teaching of God's word, but don't ask me to be devoted to prayer. I, I'm willing to, to open my home, but don't ask me to give sacrificially. Where do you draw the line? So what are we responsible for? We're responsible for pushing past that line. 
one of the things that we are always doing as part of a body, we're all part of this body together, is we're all contributing to the culture of this body. So these decisions that we make, they're not just personal decisions. They're not just individual decisions. When you push through your resistance, you actually infect the culture, you create the culture, you contribute to the culture. And when you give in to your resistance and say, I'm just not gonna do that, we're also creating a culture. So every one of us has a responsibility to be creating a church culture where we're all pushing through those, those resistance, taking the next step. I love the idea of a, a next step. Every single one of us has a next step that we could take. One of the, the beautiful things about this idea of next steps is that you don't have to climb the discipleship mountain in one leap, in just one, one step. You don't go from not knowing how to tie your shoes to knowing how to tie your shoes immediately. There's lots of little steps. And so let me ask you, for you, what is the next step in your life as a disciple? What's that, that resistance, that area in your life where you bounced up against it and you said, I, I'm not ready for that. And, and maybe now's the time God is saying, make room. Make room in your life for me. Let, let's address this thing. Doesn't have to be everything. Just what's, what's the next step for you? We can't control if the Lord's going to add to our number those who are being saved. But we can control our response to that resistance. We can control our response to those things where we know what God desires of us, and so far we've just said no. That we are responsible for. So what are the questions we need to ask ourselves? Looking at the Acts passage, we need to ask ourselves, how am I exercising hospitality? How am I practicing generosity, sacrificial generosity? How am I cultivating a practice of prayer and, and community prayer? What am I doing to be formed by the word of God? How am I being devoted to the word of God? How am I interacting with my neighbor and, and living my life with my eyes focused on, on the people around me? How am I using my home? for the sake of the kingdom. What else are we responsible for? We are responsible to stay on point, to stay on point. Uh, when we look at this list from Acts, the thing that, that astounds me is that it's really not a long list. The early church did a few things and they did them over and over and over again. So they were spirit-empowered. They were Christ-centered. They were on point with their message. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the teaching of the word of God, devoted to worship, and they lived their lives on mission. This is what they did, and they did it over and over and over again. So we as a church are called to be on point. One of the, the, the things that threatens our, our mission is, you might call it mission creep. And that happens when you're not clear about what it is you're called to do, you end up doing everything. You say yes to everything. And there's lots of good things out there that we could be doing, but God calls us to do a few things. And so when we say yes to things that are good things, but they're not the right things, what we end up doing is we work harder and harder 
at these things that really are not the right things, and the result of that is we get to where we don't want to go faster. Think about that. Working harder and harder at something, and it only ends up getting you where you don't want to go faster. And so we've got to be very mindful as a church. Are we giving the limited energy and resources and finances that we have to the right things? We cannot control if the Lord adds to our number. We can control where are we giving our, our time and our energy and our resources. Finally, and I, we are each responsible to show up as owners of the mission. We're each responsible to show up as an owner. If you've ever um, owned a home and rented it out, you know that people who are owners and people who are renters just show up differently. You show up differently if you're an owner or if you're a renter. We are all called to be owners. Think of the system that God set up. He could have set up a system where there was only one owner. He could have set up a system where there was only one person in whom all the gifts were deposited, all authority was deposited, and this person was just expected to do everything and everyone fall in line with this one person. God did not set up that system. Even his son, Jesus. I mean, here is someone who's equipped to be the, the one-man team. And what's the very first thing he does when he starts his public ministry? He recruits 12 others. So Jesus says, I'm not going to do this alone. I'm going to go out, I'm going to recruit 12 others. So now there's 13 of us. And that 13 grows to 120. And then that 120 grows to 3,120. And now the, the number is in the billions of people who have followed Jesus. And it's because this system is built for, for all of us to be contributors, not just consumers. Uh, it's maybe a poor analogy, but I've been thinking about the analogy of an ant colony. So think, think about a, a colony of ants. And one colony, uh, there's only a few ants who have been commissioned to go out and scavenge for food on behalf of the colony. And the other colony says, you know what? We're all going to embrace this mission. It's all of our jobs to go out and scavenge for food. And now you put those two colonies next to each other, what do you expect to see? One colony is really struggling because there's only a few ants doing the work for everybody. The other colony is thriving because every ant recognizes, I'm a contributor. I have a role to play. And they're all doing their part, and then the colony thrives. God could have put all of his gifts in one person, but he didn't. He said, I'm going to put a gift in every single member of the body. They're all going to be different gifts, all different skills, all different personality types, all different experiences, and I'm going to bring them all together, and they're all part of one body. They're all connected now. And that body is going to thrive when every piece of the body, every part of the body does its part. So can we control if the Lord adds to our number? No. But we can control if we're showing up as contributors or just consumers. God calls us to show up as contributors. So we're going to close the, the sermon series, Simple Church, with this prayer. God, grant us the serenity.
to accept the things we cannot change and the courage to change the things that we can and the wisdom to know the difference. Join me as we pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and uh, undoubtedly it's, it's pushed us all uh, against some resistance. Lord, I know I feel it and Lord, I pray that you would um, in each of our minds uh, just raise to the surface that next step that you're calling us to. And Lord, we, we know we don't do it perfectly. We stumble forward. And we thank you for your patience. But we pray that this would be a church that is moving forward. Lord, we just thank you for the great gift that you've given us to be part of this body. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.